You may think you know all there is to know about what it's like to be a teacher. But how true are your perceptions about salaries, workload and dealing with bad behaviour? Let's bust some myths about teaching in this episode of Future You. Hello and welcome to Future You, the podcast from Graduate Careers Experts Prospects. We're here to help you achieve your career goals. My name is Dan Mason and in this episode we're going to take a deep dive into what it's really like to be a teacher. My guests, Freya Hemming, who is looking forward to starting her teaching career, and Zaid Kalik, who has been a teacher and is now an Explore Teaching Advisor, talk through the big questions around salaries, workload, dealing with bad behaviour in the classroom, the rewards of being a teacher, and much more. And I think this is a really helpful discussion for those of you who are considering this career path, and perhaps even some of you who haven't thought of teaching as an option for you until now. Don't forget to subscribe to Future You in your podcast app and head to prospects.ac.uk for more careers advice. But for now, let's get straight into my conversation with Freya and Zaid. I'm joined for this episode by Freya Hemming, a brand ambassador for Get Into Teaching, and also by Zaid Kalik, who is a former teacher himself and an Explore Teaching Advisor. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Great to speak to you both. Um, before we get into the the main um, the main bit of this conversation, which is going to be about careers in teaching and busting a few myths about that, um, if we start with uh, a bit of context about um, both of your backgrounds, um, starting with you, Zaid, uh, if we can, tell us a little bit about your own career in teaching, how you got into teaching, um, what subjects you taught, what age group, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, hi everyone. So my name is Zay Kalik. Um, I'm um, well. I've been a teacher for about ten years, just over ten years. Um, so my route into teaching was a bit atypical, I'd say, in that um, I went into teaching after graduating from university um, because I didn't know what else to do at the time. Um, so I had a friend who um, was a teacher and he kind of suggested that I consider teaching, um, you know, just for the year. Um, I think at the time there was a bit of a bursary going on um, and, you know, it was, I think, it's £7,000. Um, and when I looked at prospects at the time, I thought, you know, what, it's not it's not such a bad idea. So I kind of decided to go ahead. I applied. I was successful in my application. Um, and then... Um, you know, I completed the training year. It was a very kind of interesting experience for me, not least because the two placements that I had um, were very, very different. So one of the placements I did was um, in a further education college. I was in a situation where I was teaching students that were older than me. Um, I taught the foundation degree course there. Um, and, you know, somebody who just left university, that was a bit of a unique experience. But one thing I would say, the challenges at that time were obviously, you know, things like the academic side, because you're teaching quite a high level. Um, uh, but it was a very uh, interesting way to kind of experience the profession because there weren't any real behavioral challenges, so to speak, because I was dealing with obviously um, more able kind of and more mature students. The second placement was the complete opposite. It was an inner city school. Um, the students really didn't want to learn there. Uh, and so behavioral challenges were very, very high. Um, so it's a very, you know, end to end spectrum kind of, 
you know, different kind of um, challenges in, in both of those kind of um, placements. Fast forward, started my first teaching job. And I think by the end of my first year, it was something that I couldn't see myself do anything other than. Um, I really enjoyed my first year of teaching. Um, I built some very great relationship with the students that I taught. Uh, and from that point onwards, it was something that I wanted to continue on with. Um, I taught in the UK. I continued for about three years. I taught in an inner city school in Birmingham. Um, again, there was a lot of challenges around behaviour because the area that where I taught was a bit deprived. So students came from, um, you know, challenging kind of backgrounds. Um, but that experience was, you know, very rewarding in that when I was able to work with those students and help them, um, you know, achieve academic success. It was a very rewarding uh, experience. Um, fast forward, I then applied to go to teach overseas. I ended up teaching in Dubai for about seven years. Um, all the while it was science, but obviously different disciplines in science. Um, but yeah, that kind of sums up my career. Excellent. Thanks very much for that. And, and how about yourself, Freya? Um, what inspired you to become a brand ambassador for getting into teaching? Is, and is teaching uh, something that you're considering for your career? Yeah, so um, at this time when I got approached by getting into teaching, I was currently doing my application. Um, so I'm currently a student in Nottingham, but next year I'm hoping to move back home. Um, and I've got a provisional place at Newman University in Birmingham to study. I want to teach geography at secondary schools. Um, so it's always been something in the back of my mind, um, always considered teaching. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to submit the application, see how it goes. Um, and then I was actually on campus one day and in the student union, they had like the get into teaching stall. And, you know, you always get approached at these events and it was like, are you considering teaching? And for once I was like, actually, yeah, I am. Um, so I actually spoke to another get into teaching advisor um, at the event and he gave me some other advice and um, obviously got my freebies as well from the event. And um yeah, and then one of the girls at the end approached me and said, oh, um, we haven't got a brand ambassador for the University of Nottingham yet. Um, would you consider it? And I was a bit like, sure, like what's what does it entail as such? Um, and it's basically just spreading the word on campus about teaching, you know, doing social media engagement and, you know, hosting two events per term. Um, so, yeah, that's basically how I got into it. And it's been the perfect student job. Um, really, been, um, you know, I can able balance my studies and everything and learn more about teaching and yeah it's been really good so that's great thanks very much for that so we've got a bit of a, an introduction uh, to both of you there let's let's move into the the main part of this which is so we're going to try and um, tackle a few of the the myths that um, that surround careers in teaching maybe so if we start by going to you again Freya um, maybe to maybe if you want to sort of introduce us to some of the common myths that people may have about teaching and what what they what they might be. I think that's probably quite a big worry that the salary isn't amazing and maybe you're working a lot more than a typical job. I think that's probably the main main thing. Yeah. Uh, and then apart from that, maybe other myths about teachers only work. 8am till 3pm like the school day like that's that's all teachers do um I think that's quite a big myth and obviously they do nothing in the summer holidays and have really long breaks I think that's quite a big myth um and maybe a myth like it's teaching is easy you know why can't everyone be a teacher I think that's quite a big one as well hmm. yeah it's weird isn't it there's the kind of dual dual aspect where it's sort of 
there's the perception of the the huge workload on the one hand, but then also oh, it's it's sort of an easy ride and lots of holidays on the other. Where it's it's kind of um, you hear both sides of that. So Zaid, do you want to tackle a few of those and 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 tell us what what the reality is? Sure. So I mean, I'll, I'll try to go through one at a time. Um, I'll start with the one about workload. Um, I think I think it's quite accepted now. Um, anybody who's considering teaching that, um, you know, there is a need for you to put in some time outside your contact with students. Um, obviously, there's a lot of duties, uh, a lot of responsibilities that teachers have, um, you know, in terms of preparing um, lessons, preparing resources, uh, making sure assessment is kind of offered to students and um, marking books, etc. Um, so there definitely is a need for you to spend time um, you know, doing uh, work outside the contact that you have with students. Um, the question is, how do you accommodate that? How does that work? Um, so in my career, I can, I can talk about my own kind of experiences with that. Um, what I used to do um, is I would allocate at least two hours per day outside contact with students um, and I found what worked best for me was early mornings so I used to tend to get into work about at least two hours before the students would arrive because obviously I'm full of energy in the morning I'm not exhausted by a full day of teaching um, and generally you'll find that the mornings school day is quite quiet there's not a lot of students around um, and not a lot of staff members around so I was able to use that time to do any planning that I needed to do any photocopying that I needed to do any emails, any urgent requests that I needed to respond to, any pastoral issues that were raised in the day before that I needed to kind of action, um, any printing that needed to be done, and more importantly, any marking that needed to be done. Um, and what I found was if I allocated that to them two hours, typically and every working day, um, I never felt the need um, to spend time in the afternoons or the evenings doing additional work um, and I never kind of felt overwhelmed. Now the reality is there's going to be times in the academic year where you're probably going to have more to do than at other times. Um, you know there's times where there's coursework that needs to be submitted or you'll have your students um, going for examinations um, and there might be a requirement to do extra classes, extra revision opportunities for students. Uh, but typically speaking, I found that if I spent that time and maybe a few hours on a Sunday morning, any um, you know requirements that I need to do to, to, to do the job effectively, I was able to fit into them times. I think the issue with workload when it becomes a problem is when that due resource is not kind of afforded. So people don't allocate that that you know, set amount of time you're not organized in that way and then things get to pile up and then you find that you're pretty overwhelmed um, probably the biggest um, uh, demand of my time outside of teaching would have been marking books and that's why I made it a habit at least an hour a day I will be sitting marking books and if you cycle through your books every week every two weeks you generally find that when you do come to mark on there's actually not a lot of marking that needs to be done but if you leave them same books for say a month six weeks then it becomes quite quite demanding um, the last point I'll make about workload is um, when you start teaching, um, your first year is probably going to be the first time that you'll have an opportunity to go through the entire 
um, years work with each year group. Um, the training year, it doesn't really allow you that because when you train to become a teacher, you have to do two placements as a minimum and they tend to be at two different schools. So you don't really get an opportunity to go through the entire year's curriculum um, with students. Um, but when you start working, obviously that opportunity is afforded to you. Um, the first time you teach something, you're really conscious about what you're teaching, what resources are available, what activities you'll include in your lessons. But once you get your first year through, um, when you teach the same material the second year, a lot of the things that you need to prepare are already prepared. Um, so you save a lot of time as you develop experience. So definitely the initial part of uh, your career is going to probably have a greater demand on you. But as you get more and more experience, you'll find that the things that you were spending a lot of time in, say your early career, you're no longer having to spend that time because firstly become more efficient and secondly you've developed a good resource bank. Um, so that that's that's been my experience, I'd say, on on workload. And I think, Freya, the the other point that you mentioned was overworked and underpaid. Yeah, yeah, you kind of hear that when teachers are striking on the news, and that's the one thing that everyone keeps saying on the news and stuff. So yeah. So I mean, th there's been some changes that have been introduced around pay. Um, so last year was the first year that teachers that started teaching. Um, as, as newly qualified teachers, the start the start salary was was introduced at twenty eight thousand pounds, which is a significant increase to previous years. Um, now, obviously, that's different if you were working in London in a London because obviously the, the cost of living is higher there. So the starting salary there is thirty four thousand pounds. Now, just to give you some figures, I mean that can increase for a normal teacher. You can go from twenty eight thousand pounds to about you know, uh, just around your £50,000 mark just for being a normal classroom teacher. That's somebody who has no additional responsibilities. They're just working, you know, um, with the with the students that they teach. Um, the other thing that I'll probably mention around teaching is there's a lot of promotional opportunities that, that kind of are afforded. So if you just um, take a moment to think about how many schools there might be where you live, in each of those schools, you need to have heads of departments, heads of years, um, you know, you'll have m members of um, leadership. Um, and in all of these positions, what you find is there's additional kind of pay that's offered. So there's a lot of promotional opportunities. Um, if you look at teaching as a career, I think it's quite competitive now. Um, so certainly the pay, I think, has improved um, quite healthily. Um, and there's probably, you know, more opportunities for progression in teaching than, say, most um, similar kinds of professions. Um, so in terms of being underpaid, I think that's, you know, not true when you compare it to a lot of other graduate kind of careers that people can go into. Um the last thing that I'll probably say on the on, on, on the underpaid part is um, teaching, I don't think, is a career that most people consider solely for pay. I think it's not something that a lot of people will go into thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to go into teaching because I want to make a lot of money. I think there's a lot more behind that decision. Um, there's, you know, there's a passion, there's a there's a kind of a commitment, there's a, uh, there's a desire of probably making a difference. Um, that kind of is associated with, with choosing a career in teaching. So, um, you know, just to summarize, I think it is a competitively paid um, profession and there's probably something more that will attract people to teaching other than the pay. Oh, that's a great insight. Thanks. Is, is there any particular um, aspects of that fray that you wanted to come back on or, or is that? No, it's very reassuring, if anything, you know, I think for me, 
you know the passion is at the forefront of everything especially within teaching as well so yeah it's definitely busted that myth for sure yeah <laughs> excellent can um, I can I sorry Dan can yeah, I just sure. come back I, I I just wanted to comment on the holidays as well I didn't, I didn't oh yeah of course so, so um my first holiday experience uh worked about I think it was seven weeks eight weeks I was going for my first half-term holiday I had a book uh, I had a box of books that was so kind of high that I was barely able to see the top of them um, I remember the look on the science technician's face like what on earth are you doing taking that home with you and I was like well when else was I meant to get it done um, and again I'll come back to my initial kind of points look when you're when you're in your first year you're learning how to do things um, so you're probably going to find yourselves in situations where there, there is a lot to get done um, but I was able to mark them books I know it sounds like a lot but I was able to do it in two days we have a total of nine days if you include the weekend so I'm still able to have a holiday um, but the truth around the summer holidays is I don't think there's been a summer holiday that would have ever worked um, part of my holidays I might have used for a bit of marking uh, but at most it might be two two days uh, beyond that you do get to rest in the holidays <laughs> good to know um, so should we move on on to the the next um issue which is and this is something that's actually come up in our surveys that we've done at prospects uh, when we ask people about their perceptions of careers in teaching which is perhaps being put off a little bit by being unsure as to how they would deal with bad behavior and and those kind of issues in the classroom um, Freya what's your perception of, of that part of the role yeah I definitely um, think it's a quite a big worry for someone who's you know looking to get into teaching you know one day you're just going to be in charge of like 30 plus students and you have to control them all and I kind of got a little bit of an insight into it so in Nottingham I've had um, job a job in two schools um, just gaining like work experience and stuff and like Zaid said like working in some like deprived areas you know that the students can be very challenging sometimes so I have experienced it front hand but me sitting at the back of the classroom being an observer that was intimidating let alone being the teacher at the front having to control all the students and I think it's really hard to like obviously keep that consistency for all the teachers across the school you know looking at behavior policies and stuff I do think that there is quite a big taboo around you know not controlling a class and you know wanting to keep it professional and stuff so yeah I think if anything it's quite daunting to someone like myself at the moment yeah Zaid what, what would be your response to that how, how have you managed uh, bad behavior in the class and how do you approach that as part of the job so I think it's a very kind of um, valid concern that a lot of people have I can relate to my own experiences going into teaching um, you know if anything it was a concern that I had um, if there's anything that I've learned in my career around behavior is you know uh, it's, it's a skill set it's it's a skill set that you develop um, through your training year and something that you will obviously continue to develop in your in your career um, so you know there's a number of different aspects of this that I hope to try to cover and, and please bear with me on this because I, I want to try to cover them all um, the first is when it comes to looking at behavior um, there's there's quite a number of terms that are used one of them is look it's called behavior for learning it's about creating opportunities where behavior is not an issue um, one of the biggest things that I'll say is most behavior management or behavior for learning is about 
preventing um, instances where negative behavior can occur um, and there's a whole kind of you know a number of skills or a number of qualities that you you will kind of bring into that so uh, as an example if if lessons are um, planned where students are engaged um, they're at an appropriate level um, students are you know enjoying the learning um, that and they're able to access that learning and if they engage with that learning then the likelihood of them being idle and disengaged which generally then tends to lead on negative behavior would be minimal um, so you know once you develop that relationship with students once you're able to kind of um, plan lessons and and capture their interest and get them motivated around your subject you'll find that they'll probably come into your lessons eager to learn wanting to learn um, and that idle negative behavior doesn't doesn't really um, um, really happen um, every school that you might choose to work in will have a policy the policy is there to obviously keep students focused and to keep um, staff safe um, as a uh, teacher you'll be encouraged to follow that policy it's about creating awareness of that policy uh, and then to continually go uh, refer back to that policy when you know students are probably not doing as as you know the policy suggests um, and it's also about you know not not being confrontational with students not challenging students but giving them options um, and this is where I think it's key where students understand what is expected of them um, and if they, you know, if they deviate from that expectation, it's a case of just reminding them of what is expected of them and then giving them a choice. Look, you can either choose to do this um, or if you don't, then you know what the consequence is. So it's not a confrontation between, say, the staff member and the students. It's more just a reminder of what is expected and what needs to be done in order to kind of avoid sanctions that might be in place. Um, but the, the, the most significant thing that I think I can mention here is, look, Behavior for learning is a skill set that you have to give yourself time to develop. Um, and to give an example, um, when I first started teaching, um, I think my first lesson um, took me about six hours to plan. Um, and that's not because it was something that was very difficult for me. It was something that I felt at the time that wasn't sufficient. And I kept on racing in my head thinking, oh, well, what if somebody asked me this? Or what if somebody asked me the other? And I was adding and adding to this lesson plan. And when I showed it to my mentor, um, he was just, you know, he just started chuckling, saying, you've got enough here for two months. What do you mean you you've not planned enough? Um, you know, and, and you just overdo it because you're thinking so much. Um, fast forward a few weeks, that six hours became maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Fast forward a little, you know, a, a little more. And then maybe that 20, 30 minutes became five to 10 minutes. Uh, the point I'm making is I developed a capacity and an ability to plan quickly. I understood what was required of me and I was able to, you know, I had resources that I was able to go to to get that planning done. And I think the same applies for behavior for learning. It's a skill set. It's something that you learn and it's something that you have to give yourself an opportunity to kind of develop. I also think, you know, and certainly from my experiences, it's probably the one aspect of teaching where you probably are less forgiving of yourself. Um, so if you had a lesson where, you know, things didn't go plan to plan and students were misbehaving, you'd probably take it hard on yourself. Oh, I can't do this. It's too hard. They just don't listen to me. Um, but I think it's about being reflective. I think it's about going back to the drawing board, thinking about, you know, why the lesson perhaps didn't go according to what you wanted to to go as um, what you could have done differently how would you 
tackle that negative behavior in hindsight um you know refer to colleagues go back to the policies go back to the drawing board and and, and try again and and just remember with practice and 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 with um you know opportunities you'll develop your skills to become an effective behavior practitioner as well um the, the most you know, important bit of advice I can give to anybody listening and who's concerned about this is is be easy on yourself. Don't 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 be hard on yourself when things don't go right. When it comes to behavior for learning, um, just as if you overplan the lesson, you probably chuckle it off and say, "Look, I'll I'll have another go," and I know not to plan as much. Um, and and the last thing, if if I can add, is I think when you're an experienced teacher in a school setting. Um, students tend to understand a lot more about the limitations around when when they're in your class so they know what you're about they know that if they were to do x y and z what the consequences would be um, and you have a bit of a reputation don't you as teachers and if you think back to your own experiences when you might have been in school there were some teachers that you wouldn't want to mess around with as much as say as others right um, when I took my last teaching job, um, I taught in the previous school for about four years. I had absolutely no behavioral issues at all. Um, you know, nothing at all. But when I took my the last job that I was in, um, you know, I had year 11s walk out of my room, run down the corridor. I had year 9s that would come in and start throwing things at each other. I had year 9s that wouldn't sit down. And I'm like, what on earth has happened? And I realized that, look, it's nothing to do with me. It could have been me. It could have been any other teacher. The fact is the students don't know uh, and they're testing the water. And, you know, it's just a case of applying the behavior policies. I had to phone a few parents. I had a few meetings. And then once the students understood that, look, they can't get away with that kind of behavior, everything fell back into place as as I was, you know, um, accustomed to in, in my previous employment. Um so again, I'll go over the point. Sometimes you have to establish um, positive learning environments and that takes a bit of time when the students get to know you. And there's always a policy to follow um, in which you're gonna be safe. And it's just a case of practice and experience that will make it um, better as time goes. Well, that's all really interesting. And I think it, I think that also just emphasizes Freya, doesn't it? The, the importance of speaking to people like Zeed who have the experience to sort of uh, reassure you about these aspects of of the career oh yes definitely you know getting those insights from the people that have got those years of experience definitely you know yeah it's really good and um turning turning sort of away from myths and and perceptions and and more into now um what what really attracts you to teaching freya what what is it that has made you want to pursue this career and what do you expect the most rewarding parts of the job to be for you um, so for me, like as I said before, I'm I'm hoping to become a geography teacher, and it's a bit ironic because I actually hated geography in school. Um, I don't know what it was, and then I did it at A level because it was one of my decent GCSE grades, and I was I'm just going to do it. And then suddenly something I don't know what it was, it just clicked, and I just fell in love with the subject. And for me, the main reason was because of my teacher. I think at A-level, you know, you're in a smaller classroom, you're getting to know your teachers one-on-one. I just absolutely loved it. And then I'd never, ever thought that I'd be studying at a university. You know, I'm in my third year now. I literally graduate this summer. And, you know, for me, that was because of my teachers. Um, you know, my teacher was the first one on results day to come up to me and say, oh, Freya, you know, you've, you've, you've got into uni, like... And it was just that moment where it was like... 
that I know how much value like teachers give to students like myself and I've you know as I said before I've had um two jobs in a school in Nottingham and even me being on a placement there for 10 weeks seeing that light bulb moment for one of those students even though I've known them for less you know less than a month and it's like seeing them how happy they are when they understand something and rewarding to think oh I was I was part of that only just had like a glimpse into what the teaching profession is like but it's made me so excited to start next year so definitely think the most rewarding part is you know giving back to those students and seeing them have that light bulb moment like I did myself so yeah fantastic and how about you Zaid how does that compare with what you found most rewarding as a teacher I think a lot of what Freya has 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 uh, said there is is very very true for for my own experiences as well. I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about teaching, um, just on the day to day thing, is I found it um, a, to be very kind of exciting and non repetitive. Um, and I know you're teaching lessons and you you know you you're teaching through a curriculum, but I think children and students generally are very. Um, uninhibited how they're feeling and what they're feeling um, and they're very authentic in that in that regard um, so I always found you know the day to be quite enjoyable um, you know quite fun quite engaging quite lively with the students um, and I really enjoyed that back and forth and you know as Freya said when students get something that they've struggled to understand or when they realize that you actually do care and that you don't think they're just going to fail you because they're in a bottom set and you actually do um, you know put in quite a lot of effort um, to see them kind of have opportunities within your subject um, one one particular example that stands out for me is I, I once worked in a school where I inherited a year nine class and their behavior was was you know very poor to begin with um, and it was a big class um, and when um, when I started teaching them one of the things they would constantly remind me of was the fact in year eight they had supply teachers throughout the year and each supply teacher that they had um, told them that you know um, they're not going to leave and they're going to be their teacher and that they're going to be different but every single one of them left within um, six to eight weeks um, and so when I came along and I said, no, I'm going to be your teacher for year nine, they, they had this belief that I wasn't going to last until, um, you know, past two months. Um, so my approach with them was very similar to any other class I taught. I planned lessons for them as if they were my, you know, top set. I gave them lots of opportunities in practical science. Um, if they failed to understand something, I always went back and explained again. I didn't just give them worksheets. I tried to make their lessons meaningful. And I think it was one afternoon I was just, you know, dreading the fact that, oh, God, I've got year nine and it's the afternoon and it's after lunch and it's like a Monday and it's a long day. And I just and they just came in and I was expecting a lot of racket and a lot of messing around and a lot of banter but I had none of it they just came in they sat down they got their books out I was so surprised but I didn't want to just say something in case they reverted back to how they've been the past two weeks um and then you know the the the, the teaching assistant said because she's been with them the year before and she basically said that they've never experienced what you've what you've done for them in that you've planning lessons where they're actually able to do practicals and when they tell you they don't understand you don't you don't say well I've explained it before you go through the trouble of explaining it again 
And, um, you know, I think it got to a point where they appreciated that and they realized that, you know, maybe I, I did care about them. And, and their behavior changed completely and, and it became one of one of the classes that I look forward to uh, because they were so engaged after that point. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's that excitement. It's the fact that, you know, you, you're able to make a difference to young people. You, you, you can give them opportunities and you get them to kind of take, um, you know, certain directions. So I still live close to the school that I taught in um when I first taught in, uh, became a teacher, and I see some of my students now, and they all grown up, and they're married, most of them, and they've got their children, and some of them are earning far more money than I ever earned. But, you know, it's good to see that, and they come and they tell us, oh, you know, um, you know how meaningful that was, and they still refer to me as the best science teacher, and it's, it's really nice to see. So it's very rewarding, um, you know, it's very fulfilling in that regard, and you'll never feel bored on the job there's always something happening and it tends to be very unique. Mm. It's great to hear those those stories as well. Um, let's move on to talk a little bit about your, your current roles. Um, we'll start with you, Freya. Tell us about being an ambassador for getting to teaching and, and what you've learned about the profession by, by carrying out that role. Yeah, so as part of the um, being a brand ambassador, you know, we have to do social media engagement. So we've got content every week to post um, to our followers and stuff. And even just the posts that they make and like the links they give to like um, stories about teachers and stuff. And reading all that is just so inspiring to hear everyone's individual story. I think that's really important to help share that as well. Um you know, as part of the um, brand ambassador role, you know, we've attended webinars and stuff to learn a bit more. Because obviously when the when we host these events, we're having to inform students and, you know, we want to make sure we answer all their questions as well as we can. Um, so, you know, I've learned a lot about the different routes into teaching. So I myself, I'm taking the university route. Um, I just think that was best for me. But I did look into like the school centred initial teacher training. Um, so balancing those like options was really interesting to learn about what worked for me, what didn't work for me. Um, and obviously a big one is the funding. Um, so the bursaries for next year, um, that's really important. I think a lot of people don't realize the funding that's out there for certain subjects. So yeah, it's really important. Um, and I think the best thing I probably learned, um, was probably, you know, how, learning how progressive the role of being a teacher is like Zay said before it's not just about teaching classroom you know you can reach those targets of becoming a head of year head of subject and I think that's really you know quite cool to like keep me motivated and yeah I'm really excited to just get started really but yeah the role has been really good to learn more meet people like Zaid and talk to like you know like-minded people um so yeah it's been really good. Fantastic and Zaid how about how about you what uh, you're an Explore Teaching Advisor. So tell us a bit about what an advisor does and how you support people um, on their journey into teaching. Firstly, thank you, Freya, for your kind words. Um, <laughs> um, it's really nice for you to mention that. So um, as an Explore Teaching Advisor, um, essentially what my role is, um, is to help anybody who's considering teaching with any aspect that's related to getting onto a teacher training course. Um, so it doesn't really matter what stage of their journey there might be some people might be quite advanced and they've done quite a lot of stuff um you know in terms of preparing for that and other people might be just at the point of considering considering teaching as a career but anything that that might entail um we are at hand to offer advice and support so 
if somebody just joins us, you know, one of the first conversations we'll have is, you know, why they're considering teaching, what their motivations might be. Um, the reason for that is it's 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 a it's something that's quite um, you know heavily looked at when you make your teacher training application, your motivations for going into teaching. So just to have a conversation around that, looking at eligibility, um, you know, trying to understand what the profession involves. Um, if you know there's um, somebody who might be interested in securing some experience in a school, so they can learn more about the profession that way then that's something that we can offer them opportunities and help them secure. Um, there's a lot of information around, you know, how you can train to become a teacher because, you know, some of the differences are quite subtle. Um, we are at hand of, you know, going through the different ways and helping people find training providers that might offer a style of training that they might be interested in. Um, and we also have other advisory services that then go further to help with the application process or so things like looking at the personal statement, preparing for interviews, doing a mock interview, preparing for any tasks that might be asked at an interview, etc. Um, so, you know, just to summarize, any stage of, you know, considering teacher training, we are there at hand to help. We are a free service, um, you know, we don't charge for any of what we do. And every advisor on our team is an experienced teacher. Um, the experience ranges from being classroom teachers all the way to being head teachers. Um, so we have a lot of, you know, experience there. And of course, within that, different subjects have been taught as well. Um, so you know it's it's essentially having one-to-one -one consultancy it's not costing you anything um and anything that you, is applicable to you even if you're unaware of it we are there to to help to give example you know some people might have a degree in in one subject area but they're considering to teach um, a different subject can i do it how can i get help with you know upskilling my uh, or, or updating my subject knowledge etc these are opportunities that obviously we are there to help with and to offer um, people advice on what opportunities that they can pursue that sounds comprehensive so and and what's what's the best way for someone to get in touch with an advisor if that's what they want to do search get into teaching so if you were to put it into say google as an example it will be your first hit it'll be get into teaching um, and when you go onto the website on the very first page there will be some information about the advisor um, registration there's actually three advisory services um, once you fill in the uh, initial questions i think there's about five questions that you have to fill in when you fill in the the questions um the appropriate advisory service will be allocated to you. You'll then get an email from your advisor. We'll like to set up an initial call just to go through where you're at and, and what you want to do. And then obviously from that point, they'll suggest a bit of an action plan. And then the relationship continues. You know, you'll probably get in contact every four, six, eight weeks, depending on when you're looking to train. Um, and they will offer you kind of advice of steps. And obviously if you've been successful in, in looking at some of them steps, then they'll suggest other steps for you to consider as well um so yeah just go get into teaching you'll be able to register for an advisor through the links there brilliant well that's, that's been an amazing overview i'll just want to finish by asking you both if you can sum up your feelings about teaching or what you believe teaching to be in a word or two freya do you want to go first um obviously we've touched on the word rewarding quite a lot throughout this um podcast but yeah definitely rewarding um i'm just so excited to get started really so yeah Brilliant. And Zaid, how about you? One word. 
bit of an interesting one, Dan. I think okay. for me it will be inspiring because, you know, my experience has been I've gone into this profession just because I had no real other option at the time, but it's inspired me to do a lot more. Um, it's taught me a lot about myself um, and it's humbled me in many ways. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a career that's inspired me to do other things. Um, and, and it's been very rewarding not just for the students that I think I've taught, but also for myself. Um, and it's helped me learn a lot about young people because you forget as you grow, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm sure uh, many listeners to this will have been inspired as well by hearing both of your your perspectives on careers in teaching. So thanks, thanks very much, both of you, for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thanks once more to Zaid and Freya for that really illuminating discussion. And as Zaid mentioned a little bit earlier, if you do want to find out more, just search for Get Into Teaching and you'll see the website there. Alternatively, there's a link in the episode description as well. For more careers advice, including lots of resources on getting into teaching, head over to prospects.ac.uk. You can find and follow Future You on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and get in touch with comments, feedback or suggestions by emailing podcast at prospects.ac.uk. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and I'll see you soon.